So hello and um, welcome back to uh, another episode of the Joel versus Arthritis podcast. Um, we're here live at the time of recording this on the Chronic Pain Club on a Sunday night on my Twitch channel, which is uh, twitch.tv forward slash Joel versus Arthritis. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Townley, who describes herself as mental health, chronic illness uh, and disability advocate, blogger and content creator and just all round amazing person that I've been following on social media for about the last year or two, um, doing amazing things in the SARA disease um saras as sort of awareness space and essentially we're here to have a conversation because it's um Sarasis awareness month not to be confused with world Sarasis day at the end of october um and basically it seemed like a good opportunity to talk about psoriatic arthritis specifically because a lot of the coverage um that tends to happen around psa as it's short shortened to um focuses on like rashes and everything so tonight's conversation will be um around the bigger picture of living with psoriatic um, disease so before we get into that too much emma welcome i hope you're well uh, yeah, just about. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us because I understand that you're struggling a little bit from your COVID boosters. So um, do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit? Are you, are you feeling well enough and everything? Yeah, um, I had my fifth fifth jab yesterday. I think you're on your fifth now as well. Mm-hmm. Getting our, yeah, yeah, I am. Our badges in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was a completely new one. Um, so it's Moderna this time. Exactly um, the same as I had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> haven't had that one before. Figured I might be okay. Uh, towards the end of yesterday, felt like I'd basically been hit by a bus. Um, and I thought, sure, I'll be fine. Oh, my days this morning. And I was so determined not to let you down. (laughs) I will do this tonight. I don't care what happens. Um, So I've basically, from when I last messaged you, uh, I don't know, nine-ish this morning, maybe, I slept until one, um, which seemed to help a bit. But I have a feeling I won't appreciate it tonight when I need to sleep um yeah. and the heat hits me and <laughs> well, firstly on behalf of everyone thank you so much please don't feel like you have to and I say if you do need to take a break then we, we certainly can um and and I it's a very similar experience for me so I'd had four Pfizer's up until that point and then I oh, had okay. the Moderna and I had a really bad week, which I'm not going to talk about because I realise you're on day one and you don't need to hear <laughs> how that works. Yeah, you just yeah. don't. So um, I suppose on on that point, and 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 yeah, thank you for your commitment. I'm sure everyone at home watching this is, is grateful as well. Um, uh, and and like I say, for anyone listening, guys, if we do change plans and everything, either on Twitch or the podcast, same reason I don't commit to an episode every single month, like religiously, because we're a chronic illness stream and podcast and we have to cancel occasionally. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be setting very good examples for the people we're sort of we're appealing to. So, um, so yeah, thank you, Emma. And like I say, if you do need a break, that's absolutely yeah. fine. Anybody? No, and I do appreciate it this morning when you said, you know, if you can't do it, yeah, you know, don't. Um, but no, I'm, I'm a very stubborn person at times, so <laughs> yeah. I was like, I will do it. <laughs> as, as chronic illness folk tend to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> I suppose whilst we're on the topic, I appreciate we haven't gone into anything sort of regarding your background, but do, is there anything you want to sort of give us a bit of an indication of how the um, pandemic impacted your long-term health condition? Yeah, so um, it was one of those uh, unfortunate timing things, really, because uh, I, I was only uh, diagnosed with... PSA, psoriatic arthritis, um, 
uh, towards the end of 2018. Um, so most of the start of 2019 was trying to work out the severity and how bad it might become and how I was dealing with it. And also myself just trying to get my head around it. Um, and then it was at this very, I think it was February, 2020. Uh, that's when they decided to put me on methotrexate. And I thought, okay, we'll give it a go. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, and then being told it's, it's an immunosuppressant. So you have to be a lot more careful when it comes to picking up bugs and everything. And I thought, ah, it'll be fine. And then a month later, you know, we're, we're in lockdown. Um, and I'm suddenly getting these messages and letters through the post of you're high risk, you have to shield. And, you know, basically if you get it, you're screwed. Um, so my, I mean, I have health anxiety at the best of times, um, but from that point it just skyrocketed. Um, and I, yeah, I was just kind of in this state of, do I carry on taking this medication or, cause you know, in, in my head at the time, and I think most people's heads because it was still March, and we thought we were going to be in lockdown for what four weeks um, and I thought oh it will be short-lived it'll be fine here we are 2022 still trying to get our heads around it um so yeah it was it was it was terrifying really really terrifying and then the the flip side of it as well was of course I thought okay I have to go and get regular blood tests um and I need to speak with the rheumatology department quite frequently how how am I going to do this when we can't go anywhere we can't do anything yeah. uh fortunately for me and it might be a risky thing to say but this is just my experience um actually 2020 and all the endless lockdowns we had was actually one of the best years for myself um right. because it gave me the time to slow down and focus on my health and regularly exercise even though it was indoors, um, but I was cooking better, I was eating regularly, I was sleeping better, um, and everything just started to come together. I, I went sober and um, my skin just started to heal. I started to feel better within myself. So although there was the anxiety and I was struggling a lot with my mental health, um, for me, it was actually quite good <laughs> um, I was quite fortunate in that respect and I was really lucky that I still had regular contacts with the rheumatology department um, and the GPs were really on it you know they were like we're aware you still need to have blood so we're still going to make it a priority to see you even if we have to send someone to you so yeah I was I was really quite lucky that, that's amazing to hear because like obviously because of the nature of what we do here we have to focus on the issues and and it yeah. tends to be a lot of uh, sort of negative stories because unfortunately we're here to sort of um raise a flag to it so so yes really nice to hear that was your experience because I know lots of people especially who were newly diagnosed or diagnosed in the pandemic got a very different experience to what the norm is and then that makes it really hard to advocate for yourself because you don't know what to expect you know so we've done lots of sort of awareness work right now but it's really nice to hear in some pockets of the, of the UK yeah. that it's still <laughs> it's still working which is which is great yeah. um so yeah thank you for sharing I appreciate that it's a weird time to ask that because you haven't formally gone through all your condition no, but fine. whilst we were talking about COVID I know everyone's really sick of hearing about it by now <laughs> but it feels like a question I have to ask when the, when it when the opportunity presents so I suppose do you want to just tell it you, you touched upon a little bit there about your diagnosis in 2018 you said you didn't get it as that 
um, diagnosed with 2018. That implied you might have had psoriasis beforehand, or have I got that wrong? Yeah, no, so... Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, I was just saying, do you want to just sort of give us a bit of an overview of how it presented and, and how that sort of path looked, I suppose? Yeah, so I was um, <clears throat> I was diagnosed with psoriasis in 2008. Um, it was my first year at uni. Uh, I was living in halls and I came up with this rash on my arm and my brain health anxiety um, just automatically went, I have meningitis, I'm really ill <laughs> and this is awful. Um, you know, sat there in my bathroom doing the glass test and everything. I was like, oh, it's not doing the usual thing, doing the glass test, message my mom crying. She was like, you've had all your jabs, you don't have meningitis, it's probably just, you know, heat rash or something. Um, went to the doctors, um, first doctor I saw sat there scrolling on Google, every Google page they could find and <laughs> just when I don't know what it is and I was like great that's that's wonderful so what now and I basically just got told to leave um went to see my home GP as soon as I walked in the door he went oh you have psoriasis and I was like cool um and I didn't know what it was I just went okay it's some skin thing but okay um, and it wasn't until it got so severe that I was head to toe um, and I just went this surely this isn't this isn't good this isn't a good thing uh, went through you know got referred to dermatology same old thing of here's some cream <laughs> try that but all right <laughs> wasn't working uh, then started having UVB light therapy worked wonders absolutely amazing uh, but then within uh, about a month of stopping it just came back 10 times worse absolutely mm -hmm. awful so I went through UVB three times same thing happened every time and I just kind of got to the point where I was like this is just ridiculous it's then when I started my blog and um, started looking at diet um, lifestyle do's and don'ts that you kind of find online nothing's really helping um, but I just I pushed through I kept trying anything and everything I could um, but I noticed as it was going on um, and when my flares, the, the skin flares were reducing, I had incredible pain well, constantly, really, <clears throat> mostly in, in the places where I had the psoriasis the worst. So yeah. my knees and stuff and lower back. And I just thought, this is strange. I don't understand. Like, you know, I'm not an overly active person, not as much as I used to be anyway. Um, and just I just put it down to just you know not having a decent enough lifestyle um and then I heard about psoriatic arthritis and thought okay that makes a bit more sense when I started getting like the sausage fingers um my nails were pitted um and I was just getting all these other kind of signs and symptoms and I went to my GP and I said look can you refer me to rheumatology might as well try see find out <clears throat> And I went for an initial appointment appointment, and um, they ran all the tests, even did a ultrasound on my wrist, which was really surreal. But yeah, um, <laughs> and they said, you're definitely on the cusp of having it, but it's not severe enough for us to give you an official diagnosis. And I was like, <laughs> right. OK, so I clearly have it but you're not going to treat me. And they're like, basically. So it doesn't yeah. tick the boxes or fully. Which or... <laughs> is, you know, I know I, I'm all for, I love the NHS. I'd be probably dead without the NHS, but um, 
and I know that they have criteria they have to hit otherwise they'll kind of be taking on everyone as a patient but I've seen this happen a lot with people with chronic pain especially like hidden illnesses disabilities um people with mental health uh happens a lot with um within like the eating disorder departments of you know you're not sick enough so we can't do anything and it's it's heartbreaking it happens so often but yeah so I went back the year after and I was like look I'm in a lot of pain something's not going on here something wrong's going on here and um they ran the test again they're like yeah yeah you definitely have it so we'll start treatment and I, I said to them I said if you if you'd agreed to last year do you think I would have reduced the amount of pain I have now and the damage that I've caused and they said yeah probably <laughs> well, it's just like okay this is lovely this this is great and so because you know as well with getting older it's not going to get any easier it's no. you know bodies are known for kind of deteriorating as you get older so yeah it's it's frustrating but we're there we're there now so and they have been great the whole like the first step of you know transmitting inflammatories or whatever there isn't really any like huge risk for that like not unless you're doing it real long term like, i'd understand yeah. if we're talking <clears throat> methotrexate and biologics mm-hmm. and stuff but like if if you're sort of right on that cuff would it have really hurt to just stick you yeah. on some low level anti-inflammatories <laughs> and because even yeah. if you could say yeah that improved a little bit right okay now we're, we're in the ballpark but yeah it's um it's frustrating because you are not the first person that we've we've talked to where um the psoriasis is presented and you know you're already halfway there at that point mm-hmm. um and I think like you kind of explained there there is a lot of people where PSA seems to be just oblivious or hidden and, and I don't get why that come I know you don't want to put ideas in patients heads yeah but a bit like when I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis and we have the big conversation about uveitis and what to look for and if you get sting and pain in your eye you need to go straight to A&E that might never happen but at least I know about it I don't I don't really see the harm in saying to a severe psoriasis patient if your knees or anything ever ache or you start getting like asymmetrical blah blah just give me a shout and and I'm hoping that's where um patient initiated follow-ups are going to help massively because you're already in the system you're already under rheumatology or or, or or a specialist for for the psoriatic element so the fact that you know when that comes and you can put your hand up for a for a follow-up you can hopefully get through those um doors a little bit quicker <laughs> yeah I mean well because like you said about with the with the anti-inflammatories I mean because there was that year gap and then I got the diagnosis they it I didn't even get that so we went straight from you're on the cusp to okay it's really bad let's put you on methotrexate yeah it's just oh okay so we've gone from you've missed uh, that (laughs) (laughs) and and the thing is that's um I was in a conversation um uh recently about a sort of like it was a psoriasis project thing and um and there was lots of talk there about that whole how scary something like methotrexate is for the first time patient yeah um and and I was trying to explain to these clinicians that are on the call it's like you know there is a reason why people are avoiding that and they want to jump to biologics because all they see is the horror stories but even if they haven't seen the horror stories you know I've 
I was on Mifetrexone for about the age of 12 to 14, right through until my mid-20s. And I was still in my 20s throwing up a couple of times a week in the morning. Like, you felt mm-hmm. like, like, I don't know what morning sickness is like other than what I've observed my other <laughs> half, but it's that same, um, that that you wake up, you just run to the toilet. And and yeah. and that's really off-putting. If that is your first experience of medicating psoriatic disease, it yeah. just makes no sense. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. I mean, I but people at work now, they... They know I won't be in the office on a Friday because that's when I do my injections. Yeah. Um, and as soon as someone says on a Friday evening, do you want to do anything? And I just, I, my reply is always, it's a Friday. And they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I know it's going to floor me. It does yeah. every yeah. time. And it's been years now. Um, but, and I mean, when I first started taking it, I remember them saying, you know, oh, you might feel dizzy, nauseous, all that spiel, like with most medications. Yeah. But like, I never knew how hard there's photos of me. I took, I think I did a social media post about it where I'm basically, I'm sat by the toilet with my laptop doing work and just kind of smiling. Like, cause I was just <laughs> kind of like, this is my life right now. Yeah. Um, and they mentioned, Oh, there might be some mild hair loss. Um, but no one really gets it. My hair started coming out in clumps and I don't know yeah. if it was linked to also kind of stress as well. But I, I got to a point where 2020, I just shaved it off. Yeah. I was like, let's do it. Why not? Um, but it really affected me really, really badly. And they never told me, because it, it's always that thing in the potential side effects of only a very few people get it. But it's like, but can you prepare me in case I do get yeah. that? because I might you never know <laughs> and, and the thing is you know the first thing someone's going to do like we've talked about already is google and you see chemotherapy and it, it terrifies people and and mm-hmm. I think the bit that really upsets me about you wouldn't believe um Emma how many times I've heard this experience which is why I'm sort of quite passionate about it is like there really is a place for me for Trexate you know it, it got me my first I was in a wheelchair at 13 I started me for Trexate at 14 and by the time I went to university I was fit able I was able to play in the sports teams and and I had my first real big remission because of me for Trexate mm-hmm. um but I went into it I guess because I was a kid and they you know load you up with information and they have to be consent and all this sort of thing I was really informed so I knew I couldn't drink and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that yeah. but the amount of people I speak to who don't get any of that information they're chucked on it when things are already really bad like in your situation and then the medical community wonders why there's not methotrexate uptake or resistance to that drug option because yeah. you, you don't give it an opportunity to succeed and it is toxic and mm-hmm. most people like in my case even when it does work you will come to a point where it doesn't and if you're not educated and ready for that of course you're going to think my doctor poisoned me but it's just that yeah. you know it's educating <laughs> the patient but yeah mm. I appreciate anyone who's listened to this before I said we bang on about that enough so I'm not going to go <laughs> any further um but I just want to touch upon because you said about like um how it affected you and it seems like a good point to talk about that because like you know people know with psoriasis you've got the visible element um you've talked about like the hair loss and people that get scalp psoriasis suffer with that sort of element as well so how how was that whole experience because I'm interested to know you've obviously you'd lived with psoriasis for a little bit did you feel like that sort of gave you thicker skin to deal with it no pun intended I was about to say quite literally (laughs) yeah (laughs) did you I do that so often I'm halfway through the sense and I realize I'm doing it um Or or did you find that was like another, oh, that's another thing on my, you know, on my shoulders that I've got to try and work with? Yeah, it's, um, for me, it 
it helped to put a lot of things into place. Um, when I was a kid, I had what I thought was chronic dandruff. And to an extent, it might have been. But I now look back and I think, I'm pretty sure that was just scalp psoriasis, but we never knew. Um, in terms of the PSA, um, I used to be a dancer and I, I, I was quite active, did loads of sports. And I got injured a lot and I, it took me forever to recover. I can never really work out why. I damaged my knee before my final dance exam. And that's when I really stopped dancing, unfortunately. Um, and my knees never really fully recovered. And I, I always had chronic pain in that knee. Um, same with my ankles. I used to sprain them all the time. And then I damaged my <clears throat> back when I was 16, uh, really severely. And I have been diagnosed with a degenerative disc disease in my lower spine, but the further it's gone on and the more I get, I've been getting flares horrifically uh, year on year now. I mean, this year I was completely laid up um, to a point where I was dragged to A&E screaming, hoping someone could try and fix me. Um, and it wasn't until I went to see my GP after that, that he said, actually, I think it, it's, it's a disc disease, but I also think it is arthritis as well. You're, you're getting more of an inflammation. And when your hips are flaring, it's, you know, the, the pain's going all around, basically. Yeah. And uh, I was just kind of like, this is wild. Like, why has no one <laughs> thought of this before? <laughs> Considering, you know, 2008, diagnosed with psoriasis. And then 10 years later, when I've been talking about all this stuff to various healthcare professionals but not once did anyone say well it could be psoriatic arthritis it and it baffles me and I think because I had um flare-ups on my skin that was so severe for so long and like you said because it is more visible especially as a young woman in her first years of uni just wanting to you know be free wild have fun it it hit me hard it really hit me I felt like a monster I it was just it was awful um and then add on the pain of it and you know just the fatigue as well the stuff that people don't talk about yeah, <laughs> like yeah. all the added stuff the you know feeling like you have a fever constantly but you're cold well no like it's like if I sit in the sun I feel cold but I know I'm hot and it's like the temperature fluctuations are just so that's why I'm really struggling in this heat right now it's just ridiculous but um I feel like because now I'm on the medication luckily for now and hopefully for a while it's this is the clearest my skin has been since 2008 I mean I've still got you know signs of psoriasis yeah. but only in March this was bright red all the way down I couldn't really move my arms. Um, so for me, I'm like, this is pretty impressive. This is great. Um, but now I'm noticing the pain internally a lot more because I think I was so aware of how painful my skin was that it took away from everything that was happening inside. Yeah. So now I'm more aware of that. Um, and yeah, when it does get to days where I can barely walk or just lift something up, I'm just suddenly like, okay so I'm on all this medication how much more do I have to do like how yeah. is this going to get worse how much more I'm going to have to do to I don't know yeah. isn't it it's like you can't yeah. you can't plan for anything and and um 
I'm interested to ask you, like, how did you find that? Because you've done it the other way around in that I often talk about when I got um, psoriasis in my mid-20s, like I had rashes through my teenage years. I just didn't like a big enough thing about it. And they were in embarrassing places for a teenage boy. Um, and I almost felt a bit of relief in my mid-20s when I suddenly was covered in rashes because it was like, look, this is this is my immune process live in action and you can now all see it for all the years that I've had Pete to prove my pain to people because I don't traditionally mm-hmm. swell I know other people do um if I'm going to swell anywhere it's like my fingers and toes typical psoriatic disease um so how was that for you that going from having a very visible long-term health condition to to then the psoriatic arthritis bit which is in in the joints <laughs> and not always so visible yeah I, I was actually thinking about this earlier and I I think I did a post about it uh, the other day where I'm, I'm at this point where I do feel really conflicted and part of me feels like I've lost a part of my identity um, because I've spent so long talking about blogging about psoriasis um, and now that I'm kind of near enough clear I part of me feels like a fraud so if like, especially this month where I'm trying to raise more awareness but I'm like but I can't really show anything because my my skin's yeah. not in a in a really bad in a really bad way and uh, then I feel kind of guilty I see all these people kind of posting about their skin and I'm just like I have been that person before I'm just I'm not <laughs> yeah. right now um and then so with with the psoriatic psoriatic arthritis I yeah so I've got I've got a blue badge for my car I've got a disability card I've got my like methotrexate card that I have to carry around with me got my sunflower lanyard all of which tend to just sit in my bag they're quite like my emergency yeah you know if I need them they're there some weeks I need to use walking sticks some weeks I need to use crutches depends on the severity but I feel like they're the only times people take me seriously is if I visibly have a walking aid with me and even then people won't take me seriously because they think I that old line of you're too young to have anything wrong with oh, go away. <laughs> um or oh is it part of a costume because I buy near walk sticks and they're really fancy and you know like they do look like they could be part of a, a costume um it's not until I use crutches where people then take me seriously because they think well that's a medical device therefore <laughs> something must be wrong and because it's crutches it's like oh maybe they've sprained their ankle or they've just had an operation um and that that blows my mind because I have days where I tend to use the accessible or um, disabled toilets because my back can go like whenever it feels yeah. like it. So knowing that I can hoist myself up or I can press a button because I have been stuck in a toilet before and it's terrifying. Knowing I've got that around me makes me feel safer. But the amount of times people see me walk in, they just kind of look at me like, Ugh you're one of those just using a toilet you're not meant to use and I'm just like nah. if I walk in using a stick they're like oh okay yeah that's fine I, I had <laughs> the weirdest <laughs> experience where it wasn't until I became a dad that I felt comfortable using some of those facilities you know because I mm-hmm. I don't know it, it's almost like well if anyone asks I've got a kid and I'm going because normally the baby changing room was the same as the disabled toilet yeah and it's stupid I shouldn't have had to need to be that in a position yeah um and I think we need to try and like normalize that in the advocacy space like we all know that um 
there's an issue with that feeling like a fraud. And it's something we talked about literally on the last episode of the Joel vs. Alfred's podcast um, with Amy. And it is like that, you, you know, you feel like a fraud because it comes and goes. And, and you can have all of these things like your badges and and your, your um, visible sort of mobility aids. And then in two weeks' time, it can all settle down. You don't need any of them. Um, but it really shocked me getting into the sort of advocacy space, how much that exists there and that almost like gatekeeping and badges of honour. And so the yeah. amount of times I've been asked, well, you do all this stuff for trousers, but I can't see any trousers. So I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like drop my trousers in the middle of a conference hall, or you haven't seen my feet, which are like the worst part. And, and it's always traditionally been my feet. And, but I've had times where I've had scalps for us. I've had times where it's been obvious on my arms and I, I've never had the whole sort of plaques on my elbows, but I was yeah. like horrified because I thought that would, out of all the places, that would be the safe space. Um, and, and I think we need to try and normalize that. It doesn't matter how much you talk up and speak up and raise awareness and stuff. You could have good, spells and remission too and you're yeah. still allowed to talk about the issues during those times yeah I mean the, oh, there's so much ableism that goes on within these communities it's just it's wild it blows my mind um I mean I think it's why I detached myself a lot from the kind of like the the mental health community because there were spaces within that where it's becoming almost competitive and I just thought okay there's definitely one subject where it shouldn't be <laughs> A competition of yep. how unwell you are or not um but it's yeah it's kind of I mean I I still get that that guilt feeling where I maybe I will do a post with one of my walking sticks and then I think I'll, I'll see a ton of other people who maybe you know they're amputees or or something and I'm suddenly like oh can I do this and then I thought yeah because that's what a walking aid is there for to aid you if yeah if you need it that's what most aids are there for if you need them but it's kind of it's one of those things where okay for example someone who has cancer if they've gone into like remission you're not going to say oh well you know you, you've not been through that like you can't talk about your experience yes they can because you know they have been through it they <laughs> they've got every right to they could potentially still be going through it and you know god forbid it could potentially come back so yeah there, there's a massive massive problem with it it's um it's kind of interesting to see in a in a weird psychological way but it's also extremely damaging it's yeah yeah it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> and like i often i had someone ask me once like would you still like if you got a cure tomorrow would you still do this I was, yeah because that's not the reason i'm not doing it for my own gain like if anything me making all this noise about it probably negatively impacts my care because if i'm a doctor and i'm seeing Joel plastered all over social media. He's probably going to the bottom of my kit, you know, like, <laughs> because like just out of spite, if you just give me a hard time, then I'm going to give you, you know, and yeah. I'm joking, but it's like that isn't the reason we do it. So it seems like a really obvious segue to talk into about why you started doing that because it's a big leap, isn't it, from dealing with this massive life change and long term condition to then finding the energy to try and raise awareness of it so was there like a spark moment for that or did it just sort of organically happen yeah I like I said I kind of I'd always try to use my social platforms to speak about mental health um it was well still is really to a certain extent but it was something that you know dominated my life what mental illness did anyway for a very very long time um and I'm uh, I think we both are similarly of the era where social media was really starting to take off. And it's, in, it's incredible to see 
where we've come from. Um, I was only speaking to someone about it the other day, how I used to, I'm still partly terrified of social media, but when I think back in the day, how it was people just tearing into one another. It was yeah. quite a scary place to be. Um, but I used to use Live Journal um, to blog all my <laughs> thoughts and feelings. Um, and then kind of, I just, I wanted somewhere where I could talk more openly about mental health. And I, for ages, I wanted to write a blog, but I didn't want to just write one for the sake of writing one. So it was when I got my psoriasis, well, it was four years, I think, after I got my psoriasis diagnosis. Mm-hmm um that I thought okay I'm just going to use it as a place where I'm kind of documenting my meals and stuff and how I plan to try and look after myself and then that it just kind of I saw more online I kind of started talking to more people and it became really getting invested in what psoriasis really is and, and learning about it and being more of a voice for people that potentially have just been diagnosed and don't know about it um and that intertwined again a lot with with mental health and started then trying to do more you know be more um involved in campaigns organizations um done a fair amount with psoriasis uk um and everything and then yeah when i got the psa diagnosis and like the treatment started amping up and everything I was just like okay I'm trying to get my head around this and I know people online are talking about it a lot so I'm going to try and do as much as I can but kind of like you said finding the energy well I mean I for for my job I'm a content creator and work in social media anyway so every day I'm (laughs) it's just content and social media and it takes its toll it really really does so I struggle a lot more these days to find the energy to do it. So I try and really focus on key dates or events that I know yeah. are coming up instead of just posting for the sake of posting, which is what I used to do heavily. And it just, yeah, became draining. And <laughs> I think um, we all find that we'll say so enthusiastically. I know I definitely did. And you tried to spread yourself so thin and answer every message. And, and yeah, um, the amount of times now I'll get sort of chased and chased in my DMs. And I have to sort of like politely say, like, I'm not a medical professional anyway. Um, but for every sort of minute I'm spending answering thousands of messages, it's less I'm achieving to sort of help change, you know, and yeah. sort of have to signpost people to those organizations like the Sarah Association where they can get that support. Because, yeah, for me, I'm focused on that whole raise awareness to enact change. Um, I can't be a support guy because I provide support groups and things, but I can't be a support guy because. I've got no, I can only talk my experience here. I can't talk about mm-hmm. um, everyone's, but I, I was interested that you sort of, you mentioned it there, but also I know from sort of following online, you talk a lot about mental health and, you know, there isn't many of us that are linking the two <laughs> and, and doing and doing both. Um, this might be a personal question, so feel free to dodge it, but like, did was the mental health sort of awareness raising separate or or do you still see that very much as sort of entwined with the, the physical element, I suppose, of, of psoriasis? Um, so the it kind of all kicked off with the mental health side because it's I, I struggled with my mental health from a very young age um, and back in the day um, <laughs> it wasn't really spoken about um, you know we didn't have all these platforms to find information not always a good thing it's a lot of very bad stuff online yeah. but um, I didn't have all of that and so as I got older and I I learned more 
and I was more involved with it through work and everything and I became a very very open book um I just thought I wish I had this when I was younger because it would have helped <laughs> with so so many things um and like I said it kind of dipped a bit because there were points where I was really unwell and I was taking on a lot of other people's pains and, and problems and actually making myself more unwell um and then again there was stuff within the community that was a bit like why is this happening this shouldn't be happening um and then frustrations as well you know cuts to funding um people just not getting the support that they need to get so it all became quite a lot because I also did my dissertation for my master's on young people's mental health and I spent Brilliant. months doing research and by the end of it I ended up giving myself shingles because I got that stressed and yeah. unwell from it so it, it it took its toll but I now look at it as um yeah I I know when I'm it's it's two-sided I guess because I know that if I'm feeling unwell mentally it can really take its toll on my psoriasis and everything that's help, uh, happening internally it can cause flare-ups especially a lot of stress um but at the same time it's just that vicious cycle isn't it the the more and well I do feel uh with psoriasis and PSA the more mentally unwell I can become yeah. so it's trying to to find that that balance um for me because from a young age I, I struggled horrifically with uh body issues um for many many years it's not until past few years that I've finally kind of got to a place where I'm okay in my own skin and um you know I'm 34 so that's a very long time um and that's where I kind of link it a lot more to the mental health now the, the body confidence the kind of speaking to yourself in a positive way and understanding that you know society plays a huge part in this there's still a lot yeah. of stuff within society of the norms how we should look how we should feel and it's breaking those you know rules and restrictions and stereotypes that just never should have been there yeah um and hopefully helping people with that side of things because I'm I'm also I do speak about it in a way of that you know I can put a post out being like hey look at me I'm wearing short shorts and I feel great but also reminding people that like but it took me a long time to get to this place it's not something that just happens yeah and even if you don't feel comfortable doing it you don't have to do it but I suggest trying to just change your mentality around how people perceive you how you perceive yourself and how society has made up all these horrible yeah. rules on how we should look <laughs> and, and that's hard enough as it is with psoriasis because you're still here even though it's 2022 you're still hearing people saying that people request desk moves at work because they think they can catch it and all that nonsense yeah. like, and swim and pool experience like and how that's still a thing and the whole body like i'm lucky in that the body image bit has never really affected me and i think that's because unless i get it on my head and having mm -hmm. no hair it's fairly obvious yeah. um even when i had it i was aware of it but i didn't like i didn't feel like it got me down but every yeah psoriatic disease flare my mental health dipped and sometimes it would dip before and and mm -hmm. you mentioned stress I'm yet to meet anyone with psoriatic arthritis that where stress isn't a trigger and it is that that cycle is the perfect way of describing it because you get stressed you get rashes you get stressed about the rashes you get stressed more <laughs> and yeah just, and then eventually you end up with depression and and um and 
we are now getting to that place where they're starting to be looked at together, especially with anyone who's experienced pain management clinics and things like that, where they sort of that multidisciplinary approach. But when you go see, you know, my viewers, when you go see a dermatologist, there should be in the same corridor, like you'd have a biologics nurse with rheumatology, there should be a some sort of mental health link there as well. So they yeah. can bring them in because surely they're getting very high numbers, I would have thought, in a work a day of people yeah. that mention their, their mental health. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said earlier as well, you know, even health anxiety, because if you then start, you know, like the whole thing with COVID and being on medication and how it can increase your risks and everything. Um, but also because of all the um, all the other potential risks that can come with having the diagnosis, you know, uh, the things that they also don't really talk about enough, which I think they should, but, you know, like heart, heart problems and yeah, yeah. all the other <laughs> stuff that could potentially happen, um, which it shouldn't be a case of them, yeah, terrifying you with it, but just talking about it more. So, you know, because I've, I used to drink heavily and I'm a smoker and I know I've cut out the drink, but I know for a fact, I, I definitely still shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't smoke anyway, but um, the amount of nurses that have just been like, no, nah. I'm like, but I know that I really <laughs> shouldn't be. And you should probably be promoting it a bit more that I shouldn't be. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that actually kind of sometimes needs the fear put into me because otherwise I will just carry on. I'll yeah. be like, no, yeah, it's all fine. Um, but yeah, and I think another side with the the mental health is that uh, I went through a really big trauma uh, in 2011. And before that, um, I was actually getting to a place where my my skin and my mental health were quite good. Um, and it wasn't until that, uh, the trauma, that everything just flared again massively. And that's, if, if anything kind of, if I have kind of any flashbacks or anything, I notice that yeah my my body reacts yeah. straight away um yeah. and yeah there's a lot to be said I mean your mind does a lot of stuff it kind of keeps your body going so it's obvious that if something's unhappy up here it's yeah. gonna fire off things everywhere else so my, my wife notices I, I will if I'm stressed she'll see me itching and there is no rash there and I'm itching yeah. because somewhere my brain is making that link to you get stressed so a couple of days later you've got rashes and you itch and and then because you damage the skin you inevitably trigger a flare in that location and yeah. you know and, and, and it's, you don't know you're doing it but psychologically there's such a massive link so and it, you, what you're talking about there again it comes back to that personalized education for the individual and like you know there will be some we've all got those people in our lives and sometimes painfully it tends to be people that are quite close to us that don't want to engage with the mental health conversation or you know I've been in a wheelchair as a kid yet I still have areas of my support network shall we say where them conversations where I suddenly get back to losing mobility, it's difficult again. Like, mm. I, and I get it comes from a good place and people want you to be well and it hurts them to see you losing your mobility, but they don't want to have those conversations. And I think, yeah, it comes back to that personalised, like we're talking about with the Mifotrexate thing. If people want to know, let's provide that and give them a platform and educate and, and have an outlet. But if they don't want to engage it, then that's fine. And you can carry on doing exactly what dermatologists never want to do in any way. Mm-hmm. But to have that, okay let me just bring in the therapist or whatever just for me for anyone who's waving a red flag and and because everyone's different that benchmark can change you know I'd like to think that my doctor would you know because I'm quite open maybe it isn't a red flag when I say I've been really struggling with this and my sleep's been bad but if I come in another day and I'm really quiet or you know whatever might be different for me 
yeah. it would be nice if that them levels were there wouldn't it to, for personalized care yeah definitely I mean I know I've got a friend who uh he's a PWP so he works in mental health and he's actually starting to do training which focuses on mental health support for people with chronic illness and it's fantastic to see it's being rolled out in a few places and it, it definitely should be a thing you know going back to the whole starting medication just before lockdown I live on my own so there were many times where I was genuinely terrified because I was like you know who who do I talk to I can't just ring up I mean I've got a number direct for rheumatology but they don't want to hear about what's going on up here they just want to know yeah how my joints are doing or how the That's medication hard enough getting, them, getting them to listen to the skin element of well, thoracic disease let alone the <laughs> yeah, exactly so yeah having having that balance is huge hugely important which is why you know it is great to have these these support groups it shouldn't be the case where patients are starting them themselves and you know being the forefront of it but it, it makes a huge difference I've, I've met some amazing people over the past two years just through Instagram um or you know all ranges of disability or, or chronic illness um so that's been a a lifeline really but like I said that shouldn't be the case <laughs> so, no it shouldn't and you saw such a boom of that during the lockdown and everything didn't yeah. you like it was <laughs> I went from basically talking to myself to suddenly having an audience mainly because when people took up bacon and so on yeah. and things like that, a load of people took to Instagram to to have chronic ill. And there was good and bad sides to that, especially if people from day one were calling themselves advocates and maybe didn't have the the basis to to give that advice. But um, but and unfortunately, I don't know about you, but I've definitely seen that all drop off. And I had like a real like withdrawal thing go on um earlier this year where I was like, oh okay my post used to get hundreds of likes now and it wasn't the likes bit that bothered me it's the people I used to talk to every day as a support mm -hmm. network people I could name and I could name their kids even though I'd never met them because I knew so much about them and now they're gone and the accounts yeah. are just closed and and um I don't know I really struggled with it. I don't know about you or maybe it's just something I noticed no I know definitely I think it's um it was a really I think harsh transition because you know everyone spoke highly about the new normal um and how magical everything was because everything has slowed down and yeah people were becoming a community all over the world and you know sharing this kind of same pain and uh and then it was kind of made out that it would slowly go back to being how things were but it didn't it just became fast pace non-stop <laughs> burnout lifestyle I noticed it I mean I think, I think that's why I got extremely ill um the start of this year because I went from occasionally going in the office but it's still being kind of relaxed and slow to basically near enough doing five times a day in the office again um and it just being like bam, bam, like just non-stop and my body just went no yeah. what what are you doing <laughs> and I yeah it, it really hit and I struggle with it now I I don't know how we used to do it um I don't know why we're still pushing to do it now um yeah and it, I, I feel the same I don't see as many people online that I was during those times and I guess I'm kind of the same where I don't like it because of all of that I don't have the energy and the time to post as much as I want to and, and engage with people as much for as me, I want for to. me it feels like a part of the conversation just not being had enough like we know that treatment's delayed and we know that you know the waiting lists at hospitals and stuff like that but people 
when for some people they all they knew was that online support element and then when mm. it just suddenly shriveled to back to pre-pandemic um and, and we could see it as a positive and we reached lots of people and we had lots of awesome conversations i mean lots of literally at one point in lockdown it was all i did that was my social life was talking to people on social media all day and you know a bit like we do here on on twitch and everything that like creating that space where those come together and then and then all of a sudden it, it stopped and and that really affected me and, and you say about your body like going back to normal i'm still not there my attendance now in the day job is so much worse than in 2020 when I was stuck in bed in pain because mm. back then I had people I could talk to about it yeah. and all of a sudden everyone's got back to normal and some of us are still sitting here like oh okay <laughs> yeah and I yeah. haven't adjusted at all I really haven't and I think that's why I do so much of this stuff because it's that filling the time not having the empty head space to to go yeah. downhill with mental health so um uh, it's reassuring that I'm not the only one that's, that's experienced. yeah no and I do I've you know I've, I'm really lucky to be fair with work they're extremely flexible and you know I do have the option to to work from home but I think that's what I struggle with um meant I, I either have to work from home and be in that headspace or I need to be in the office. Like I, I find it really hard now to do either or. Um, Cause I mean, especially it's, it's one of those things where if I, if I get myself into a mentality on a Monday of like, okay, I'm going into the office, although it's probably draining me more than I need it to, I can just do that. I can be like, right, this is what I'm doing. If I then have a day at home, I'm like, well, I just want to sleep now. And my body, like in my head, I know I have to do stuff, but I'm like, but I could just stay in bed and do nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really struggle with that. I'm, I have to, yeah, be in the right mind frame to know where I am, what I need to do. I can't just flip between the two of them. So it's tricky. And there's a big planning element with our disease and, and, and there's so much unknown. Yeah. So it's really hard if if that is that fluid, the situation to, to know if you're coming and going and have things in place you need to succeed in, in a career. And, and yeah, because yeah, people always, they hate how much of a planner I am. They're like, oh, just go with the flow, have fun. I'm like, I would love to, but if, <laughs> if I go somewhere and someone suddenly says, oh, we're walking 10,000 steps to this destination, no. I need to know that I'm doing that so that yeah. I can have three days of doing nothing because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it, you do, you have to, yeah. And even then when you do plan, it's still, you know, things like this where I was kind of like, well, I've planned for it, but now I feel terrible. You still Am got I a gonna... spanner in the works, <laughs> even no matter <laughs> yeah. how much you plan for it. And, exactly. and with that, I'm really conscious that you're not hundred percent down. We've kind of come back nicely full circle on the mental health COVID impact. So I suppose just so I don't keep you too much longer um, and I don't want, I'm not going to sleep tonight if I know you suffered for the sake of this interview. No, no, I'm actually doing all right. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so, um, so I suppose the last sort of one or two things I just wanted to ask you is I suppose we've talked a lot about the unseen side of PSA and the sort of branches of it and everything. I suppose, firstly, what is the one thing you wish people, it doesn't necessarily be one thing, but what is the thing you wish people knew more about psoriatic arthritis? <laughs> um, yeah, answer that first, and then I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you as well. Um, well, I think, yeah, the, the key thing is is knowing it exists, really. Um, it, it only, you know, it took me having to kind of research it to know it exists. So I think, like we touched on earlier, when you are diagnosed with psoriasis or even 
sometimes it is the other way around but um knowing that it could potentially be a thing um but also I I've what I found the most is from trying to be more involved with arthritis campaigns and everything PSA is rarely spoken about um I mean it's there it's hovering about but when I think of arthritis my go-to is rheumatoid because it's spoken about a lot um and the amount of times I've said to people I have psoriatic arthritis or, or PSA and they're like oh so you just have arthritis I'm like well no it's yeah. kind of different they're like oh no but it's just arthritis I'm, no but that's the thing it's it's not I probably wouldn't have this if I didn't have psoriasis so <laughs> it, it's one of those things um that I think yeah needs to be spoken about more there's just a ton of education around it really you know and I know a lot of us are trying to get it out there mostly on social media and stuff but just even those ongoing things of you're too young to have that um I know like yourself example you are someone yeah. who is diagnosed with um so is it J-I-A? J I I always get it wrong yeah no it's J I A. yeah yeah but- um but again, it make it even only... more confusing because there's a subtype in front of that, which we, we won't bother going all into. <laughs> but I mean, I only found out about that because I started doing more research myself about psoriatic arthritis. And then it took me on a kind of path of finding out about other types of arthritis. So, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that everyone needs to know about every diagnosis in the world. Um, <laughs> no, but, but it'd be nice if I didn't get a message every single day asking me about my RA because <laughs> I've run out of ways to politely answer that. And it is literally every single day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think because knowing that I think you can also have kind of more than one type of arthritis as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's the same with most things that I tend to talk about on the Internet, just so much more education especially coming from professionals downwards it shouldn't it shouldn't be a case of people having to google stuff themselves um especially because there's so much trash online you don't know what is real or right um and i mean (laughs) i touched on this the other day but better conversations with um people who are able to carry children actually no not just that because you brought something up as well anyone (laughs) who can be involved in any form of reproduction um better conversations around that and medication yeah uh that i want to see happen a lot more because that prevented me from having treatment for a good two and a half years It shouldn't be an assumption based on the age bracket you're in. It should be your doctor should know what it kind of goes back to that whole what's your acceptable outcome, which I bang on about way too much on this show. But is that, you know, if you know the individual, then you've kind of got the answers to those questions. It shouldn't be, oh, you fall between this age bracket. Therefore, we're not going to offer you this because we assume you're going to want to bear a child or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, even if you said it like and it can be traumatic as well. I mean, because one of my experiences was saying, you know, I've been diagnosed with PCOS and potentially I might not even be able to. So but I don't want to be having this conversation with you. I want us to be sorting out my treatment yeah. we shouldn't my be talking about is x y and z yeah exactly and I, if i am telling you i'm not planning on having children <laughs> that's what i'm saying you know yeah. so yeah that is a definitely a big thing 
for me. Yeah, a, a and really, probably many more people. Uh, yeah, it's a really valid point. And yeah, <laughs> as you mentioned, yeah, that can happen to men too. As like for anyone that doesn't know what, if you've been on this show before, you'll know this, but salfosalazine essentially delayed me and my partner having children for two, two and a half years because nobody assumed, like I now know it's a really well-known thing. Well, it wasn't for me that it can lower sperm count and everything, but everybody was giving me the green flag to start a family and we didn't know why that wasn't happening, only to find out that when I was given a break from self-salazine because of my liver um, numbers on my blood tests, we conceived instantly. <laughs> and like, so it's like two and a half years of our life lost um, to that. And nobody brought it back to my treatment because a lot of the times when, when looking at those issues with treatment is very much focused on on the, the woman or the person carrying carrying the baby isn't it yeah like, but I mean you, you say loads it's common knowledge but I'm on it and I never knew that until you brought it up the other day <laughs> I was blown away I was so yeah <laughs> I feel really stupid though because you read the paperwork it's really there like really front and center now but I promise you as somebody that's been on it since 12 years old non-stop nobody's obviously having that conversation with me and then the yeah. issue is nobody thought to have that conversation with me when I started going to appointments on my own you know so when I or when I went to uni that might have been a really good time to to talk to me about these things um so yeah and that's that's where men can fall through the gap too as much as like I say your experience unfortunately where women find they can't have access to treatment because of that period of their life and that might not even be a priority so yeah that seems like a really strong message to to end on um <laughs> thank you so much for your time emma um um where can people find you if they want to want to check you out on social media or other places so i'm mostly active on instagram uh which is at red silver mountains um that's my kind of go-to it became my blog really from yeah. when i had my blog um I'm occasionally on Twitter, which is at red and silver. So just an N in the middle. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, Instagram would be my, my go-to. It's where I tend to put all my ramblings and, and whatnot. So. <laughs> and, and for anyone who's listening this back on a podcast or watching it back on YouTube, I'll put all that in the, in the show notes. So you can just click a link and find Emma nice and easily. But yeah, on behalf of everyone on the community and anyone listening to this back, Emma, that was brilliant so thank you ever so much for joining us thank brilliant. you thank you so much yeah you're welcome back time. anytime as well if you ever want to hang out with us then, yeah then just give me a shout that'd be great